For those of you who may be visiting with us today, this is uh, Ray Rines, and uh, God's been working in his uh, life in a powerful way, so I'm going to turn it over to, to Ray this morning. Yeah, thank you, Brad. If God is dealing in your life, he's going to get your attention. Amen? One way or the other. <clears throat> I'm going to speak to you, of course, you are... Um, um, blessed this morning you've got me and Marty on the same stage. <laughs> First time I've, I've ever been ahead of Marty in anything. Yeah. But God wanted me to speak to, to you um, basically on pain. And I know what pain is. Several years ago, 1967, I was in Vietnam. 19 years old. My unit was under mortar fire, and I was hit with mortar. A piece of the mortar penetrated my body and uh, punctured my lung. I was helicoptered or faxed out to the field hospital where my lung had uh, punctured. 30 days I was in that hospital. Away from home, 8,000 miles. My mom wasn't there to help me. Be with me. I had uh, I had no friends, so I said, "You know, God, just get me out of this." And I said, "I'll do whatever you take. You know, whatever you ask me to do." Well, thirty days later, I was well, patched me up, sent me right back out to my unit. So I spent my remaining year. Well, I came home. Uh, I went through some rough times. Uh, I was pretty wild and crazy. So, in uh, 2000, uh, I see, 1997, I'm sorry, something happened to me. I met a young lady who changed my life. Wonderful lady. Her name's Lisa Ogle. We started dating, 1997. The year 2000, we were married best thing ever happened to me and not only did I get her I said, we immediately started a family and my kids were born they were nine and ten years old when they were born <laughs> so what a blessing what a blessing it was so but anyway I have been blessed in several years I had uh, some good health 2008 I was having some back issues then, and I had surgery, I had to go through my neck, move my vocal cords, go in there and make three discs out of cadaver tissue, put the plate in there with screws through a little incision in my neck. That was painful. It was very much some pain. I was down for 13 weeks at that time, couldn't drive, couldn't lift anything over five pounds. After three weeks, I was literally crazy. I mean, crazy. So Holly, my daughter at that time, was in nursing school. So she said, Papa, I said, can I help you? And I said, yes, if you'll drive me to see my customers, I would appreciate it. So anyway, she agreed to. She had like three days a week she could take me. So we got out of the house. She and I did some bonding during this three, uh, three uh, 13 weeks. 
we walk into my customers, and I get this. Here I'm walking in with a horse collar on. She's walking in with a nurse's outfit, uniform, <laughs> and carrying my samples. My customers couldn't say no. Whatever I was selling, they were buying. <laughs> so, so thank God. We got through that. Thirteen weeks later, I was back normal. So I had a few good years. In 2000, after Lisa and I was married, I joined the church here. 20 years I've been a member of this church. 20 years. I've been in every one of the judgment houses. I've been in every one of them but one of the Easter dramas. One year they even let me do a solo. I hadn't been asked since, but I got to do one. <laughs> Thank God. So uh, I've been on several committees in this church during those times. I've been very active. I've been an usher. I've been uh, a greeter. And I've paid my tithes. How about that? So I was a good church member, I think. So time goes on. In 2015, I started having heart issues. From 2015 until present day, I've had eight heart procedures. I've had bypass, I've had stents, I've had heart ablations. If you don't know what that means, they go in and they actually burn your heart. I've had uh, cardioversions. Whatever it is to do with the heart, I think I've had it. But we made it through that. Pain, yes, but, but we made it. So, Anyway, so from two, from then until recently, I've had good health, been active, and I'm the type of person, when I work, and which I love to work, I, I want to do it myself. I don't want, I want to get it done. I don't want to quit till I'm done. Every year around Thanksgiving, we have Thanksgiving at our house, and we have several little children there. Well, I started blowing my leaves in the fall and piling them up at the back of the house every year. And I would have a huge pile of leaves. Well, the purpose of that was the kids, we had a, a little scooter that was on a track, and they would roll down the hill into those leaves. Well, those kids just loved it. So anyway, every year I'd make a point that I'd have those leaves ready for the kids. Because they'd, they'd ask me before, say, Papa, you got the leaves ready? Uncle Ray, you got the leaves ready? Yep, they're ready. Well, a day or two after Thanksgiving then, I had a big fire. I'd burn all those leaves, all the brush. And if I didn't have enough brush, I'd go in my neighbor's yard and get some of theirs. And I just had a good burning day. I really and truly enjoyed that. December the 5th of this year, I remember that date. Uh, I burnt the leaves, had a huge fire, burnt my brush. Well, I spotted a big old tree that was dead back there. I said, all right. So I got my chainsaw out, fired that thing up, went back and cut it into logs about 28 inches long. I said, all right, that's going to be some good wood. So well, let me go back a little bit for all the procedures that I had uh, during those times, this church was praying for me. A lot of prayers went in. And every time I had a procedure at Erlanger Hospital, whether it be 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, 
There was three people. that I could always count on being there. And that was Lisa, Brett, and Debbie Fetcher. And they were there praying for me and comfort me. And through all those surgeries, I was okay. I mean, I had peace. I never worried about it. Went in, had them, bounced right back. So wanted to mention that, that this church has sent up a lot of prayers for me. And Brett, Lisa, and Debbie, thank you so much. So back to the leave burning. So anyway, I uh, busted that wood. I actually called Debbie and I said, hey, you want this wood for your pit, your fire pit? And she said, yeah. So I said, okay. Well, I busted every one of those logs. And I don't know how many there were. There was a lot of them. Five o'clock that evening, I started cleaning up. I had to crawl to the house, literally crawl to get back to the house. So I said, okay, we can, we can fight it off, it's no problem. Next morning, well, in May of this year, I retired. The Lord had blessed me that I was able to retire this year. I spent 42 years traveling on the road in that length of time, I had two accidents and maybe two traveling violations. God had blessed me for uh, 42 years, and I thank him for that. So anyway, the uh, I forget where I was going. I knew I'd be all over the place, but just bear with me. So anyway, on that Friday morning, I got up. Lisa went to work. I couldn't walk. So, so I called her and I said, Lisa, I said, you might want to come and take me to the doctor. I just, you know, can't move today. So we did. We went to the, uh, uh, one of the uh, convenient cares there next to the hospital. We go in. I'm sitting in the waiting room. And I'm in pain. I get up to walk back there, and I can't walk back there. And it was embarrassing. But anyway, I made it back. They took an x-ray. And the doctor said, well, there's nothing broken. I don't see anything, you know, that uh, you just got a pinched nerve. And he said, I'm going to give you a steroid shot and some uh, muscle relaxer. And said, you should be fine. Now, that was December the 6th. <laughs> okay. So I took that, they helped a little bit, but I was still in a lot of pain. Monday, I said, well, I'll go to the chiropractor. So I started going to the chiropractor, a couple of visits, and I was so, it was so painful that I couldn't, it couldn't touch me. And he said, I, I can't help you. He said, you're going to have to go to an orthopedic or something. He said, you need some help. So I go to my doctor, they give me another shot, some pain pills, and they said, we're going to set you up to see an orthopedic. And we did that. And these processes, I don't know if you've been to the doctor lately or not, but these processes, they take forever. They don't get any hurry. So I go to my doctor, and he says, you need to go to physical therapy. So they set me up for physical therapy uh, four weeks, three times a week. So I start extremely painful every time I ever visit. 
after nine weeks, I'm not any better. So I told the technician, I said, look, I said, I should be better by now. And she said, yeah, you should be. So they reevaluated me and tested me. And she said, no, your right side is actually weaker than it was when we started. And she said, you need some kind of CAT scan or something to see what's going on. Well, I go back to my doctor. He sets me up to have uh, CAT scans. The day I go for my CAT scan, I was in so much pain, I couldn't even lay on the table. Nine attempts we had to lay on that table. I couldn't do it. So I got up, and I said, Lisa was out in the waiting room. She said, are you through? And I said, no, I can't, I can't lay on the table. So she started praying. I said, come go back with me. So she goes back in the uh, room with me, and we work, and the technician, she was wonderful. So we work, and we work, and I get to where I'm just about this high from laying on the table. The technician says, if you can hold it right there for five minutes, we'll get you done, and they did. I, I made it, thank God. So then the next step was go to a spinal, uh, uh, spinal doctor. I went there, she read the CAT scan, and she said, you've got a terrible case of spinal spinosis, stenosis, and said, your nerves are being blocked, and all of your nerves are being blocked going down your leg, and said, uh, you've got a, a real bad case. So they sent me to a surgeon. Finally got an appointment with a surgeon. And I don't mean to make this a long story, but it's going to tie in sooner or later. So I finally met with a surgeon. We prayed, and the church was praying. Everybody was praying for me. So on a Tuesday, we met uh, with a surgeon, and he said, yeah, he confirmed all of it. And he said, we got two choices. We can do the spinal injections. And he said, we can put a Band-Aid on it. Or he said, we can, uh, we can do surgery. He told us what the surgery would incur. And I said, when can you do the surgery? And he said, Saturday. I said, what? He said, yeah, I do on Saturday. I said, you do surgeries on Saturday? Yes. So I said, thank you, Lord. So anyway, we're just happy we're going to get some relief, right? So Thursday, my doctor called me, or his assistant called me. He says, we need a release form signed by your cardiologist. Well, back in December, I met with my cardiologist, and I had taken some tests before that. And they said, Ray said, um, your heart is now performing at 25%. That's pretty low, isn't it? And he said, yeah. So he said, we're going to have to put a defibrillator, going to take your... Uh, pacemaker out, put a defibrillator combination in, and said it will help build your heart back. Neil, I'm sure you're familiar with these things. So I said, okay, when can you do it? And he said, January the 8th. I said, okay. Well, January the 8th came, and I, I could not do it. I was in so much pain from the back that I couldn't have the uh, heart, heart surgery done. I had to postpone it. Okay, said so when you get well better when you can do it, we'll do it. Well, back to the back issue. So, on a Thursday before we're supposed to have the surgery done on Saturday, they called and said uh, we need a release from your cardiologist. 
okay. So I called them and they said, okay, we'll get the doctor to sign off on it and you can have your surgery on Saturday. Wonderful. You'll get some relief, right? Well, Thursday afternoon, the cardiologist assistant called and says, Dr. Wright will not sign off on your release until you have an EK or uh, have a stress test. And I said, really? He said, how soon can we do that? I said, well, it looks like February the 6th. All right. <laughs> Another postponement. <laughs> so anyway, I said, okay, if that's, that's what it takes, we'll do it. So anyway, they... Um, uh, then my surgeon called uh, that afternoon and they said uh, I'd actually went to that day and had prep done for the surgery on Saturday. So on Friday then they called and said uh, we're going to have to postpone your surgery. He said the doctor won't do it without the release form. And at that time I just, it just hit me. Everything mounted up, the pain, everything. Okay, it's God's will. We're going to get through it somehow. So, Friday, Friday afternoon, I got to thinking. Lisa had went to work, and I said, it hit me. I said, my heart's only functioning at 25%. I said, I understand why the surgeon wouldn't perform the surgery. It's quite a risk. Well... Friday night, Lisa came home, and after we went to bed, now, for seven weeks now, I hadn't been able to sleep in the bed. I slept in my recliner at a 45 degrees. That's the only way I could get any comfort at all. So that's been my bed. That's been my buddy for seven weeks. So anyway, Friday night, uh, uh, it just hit me. I said, God, where are you? I got nothing. Friday night when I went to sleep or tried to go to sleep, <clears throat> I didn't sleep at all that night. And things as it would be, as it would have to be, during that night, my heart started doing funny things. It was just all over the board. I was short of breath. My right arm was burning. And I said, well... Looks like this may be it. So I prayed. I prayed all night long. I got nothing. I mean, nothing. I was forsaken. <clears throat> so, anyway, and it occurred to me during the night, I said, God, I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're you know me, I don't know anything. And there was one thing across my mind, said, God, just let me live tomorrow. I said, I said, I've got some things that I need to get with Lisa on and get straight. Saturday morning, we got up, we had her coffee and sat there talking and she says, we're going to go get a sleep number bed today. She said, we're going to get you some rest. And I said, 
we need to deal with something. I said, uh, we need to sit down and get all of our affairs together. I didn't tell her what had happened the night before. And I said, we need to get some things together. I want to make sure something does happen to me or you. I said that the other one would know what to do and they'd be taken care of. So we sat down. We spent three to four hours that day. Pulled the will out, the life insurance policies, retirement, all of that. We even did our burial arrangements. So we had all of that in one big stack of papers where if something happened to one of us, the other one could go right to it and everything would be done. Okay, so I felt a little relief after that. Well, that evening we go and look for the bed. We spend maybe an hour, and I was hurting so bad I couldn't hardly stand it. So anyway, Saturday night, same thing. Prayed all night, nothing. I got no peace, no nothing. I couldn't wait till Sunday morning, last Sunday morning. I said, I'm going to the altar, and I'm not leaving there till we get it straight. Well, Sunday Sunday morning after the message, I came to the altar. So did a lot of other people. So I was praying, praying, and I still got no relief. I could hear people praying around me for my health, you know, and my pain. But I could hear all of that. But I got up from there, and I had nothing. Sunday afternoon, Lisa and Jackie and I went out for lunch. I was miserable. The food was awful, and when food is awful to me, it's it's something wrong. So anyway, I, I was just miserable all afternoon. It was Sunday evening, Sunday night. I was sitting there, and I was taking my blood pressure. It was pretty high. And Lisa said, what's wrong? Why are you taking your blood pressure so much? I said, I just feel like, you know, my blood's a little high. Well, I did it a time or two again. And she said, okay, that's it. I said, what's the matter with you? And that's when I let go. I told her the whole situation the last two nights. Uh, it broke her. But for the first time, my heart was broken. I was broken man. So I told her, I said, if I left here right now, I don't know if where I'd spend eternity. Because <laughs> I had. <laughs> I had no peace. I had no comfort. So she started praying, reading scriptures, and she said, I'm calling Brett. I said, no. Oh. I said, it's 9 o'clock at night. I said, don't, don't bother, Brett. So we prayed, and we, you know, we cried, we prayed. So she said, I think we need to call Brett. At this time, I said, okay, call him. He answered the phone, and guess what? He said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. 15 minutes on a Sunday night. Well, he came, and I explained what was going on. Well, you can imagine, he was, he was tore all to pieces. So we started, he started uh, reading scripture. We started praying. We cried. We prayed. We cried. And there's one scripture that he kept going back to. 
It was Psalms uh, 51, 17. He said, for the sacrifices of God is a broken spirit, a broken heart and trieth. Oh, God, do not despise. You remember reading that scripture, Brett? And so at that time, I realized I was broken. And we prayed, and Brett said, Ray said, have you ever totally surrendered your heart to God? And it hit me. I had never surrendered my heart to God. <laughs> so, so that night, I felt good. I felt peace, immediate peace come over me. Went to bed that night in my favorite rocking chair, lounge chair. I went to sleep. I slept. I had that peace. Yep. The um, Monday morning, I got up. My life had changed. I immediately started changing my TV programs I was watching. I was turning on anything that was spiritual. I was looking for it. So Brett called to check on me. I said, I'm doing well. I'm back in the book, and things are going well. All week, I was blessed. I felt good. So anyway, Monday night, we ended up going to Chattanooga, Lisa and I did, to the sleep number. And I was hurting so bad, she had to roll me in in a wheelchair. <laughs> so can you imagine somebody at a bed outlet seeing somebody come in a wheelchair you got a sale right there but <laughs> so anyway we ended up buying one of the chairs uh, the chairs the uh, sleep beds and guess what I'm not going to get it till February the 8th <laughs> but that's okay that's okay but anyway uh, this coming Thursday I've rescheduled they've rescheduled uh, I've got to take a nuclear stress test and I'll ask that y'all pray for me that I'll, my heart will be strong enough for my doctor to sign off on and that I can have the back surgery that I need to uh, feel good again. Uh, so just pray for that. And, and I pray that through the years that I have touched somebody's life, you know, that I've been a blessing somehow, some way. In mind. And my prayer today is that, that I've turned my life over to God and He can do whatever He wants to. I don't know what His plan is for me. I'm 72 years old and, you know, I don't know, but I just want Him to use me the rest of my life. Yeah. And if I have over the years said anything or done anything to offend anybody, I ask for your forgiveness. So just, just pray for me, and I thank you, and I love you. love every one of you. Thank you.
While they're bringing the uh, pulpit, I want to just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And Ray, uh, on Sunday night, he nailed down his salvation and uh, was able to go to sleep with peace that night. And I believe that God put on his heart to share that testimony today so that uh, not only could he acknowledge his salvation, but to uh, be a witness to someone else that might be struggling with your own personal life, whether you really have come to a point that you've given your whole heart over to the Lord. And so I just want to say a prayer right now as Marty's coming and as he comes to share a little from God's Word, that uh, if you're here and you can relate to Ray, maybe you're uncertain of your salvation, maybe you know that you've never been saved, that before you leave here today, I want to challenge you to just turn everything over to the Lord so that you can have that peace to know that you have surrendered all to the Lord and that your life is totally in His hands and that you're sure of your salvation. Lord, I just pray, God, that you do a work today that only you can receive honor and glory. And I know, God, that you uh, put this on Ray's uh, heart to share his testimony about him nailing down his salvation so that someone else would be touched in their life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. And Ray, I want you to know uh, you've always been a mentor of mine. And... uh, I praise the Lord for you and for your testimony and, and uh, appreciate your service to our country. And it's men like you that made this country great. And I just want to thank you. And I, you know how over a period of years you get to meeting different people in the church and, and getting acquainted with different brothers and sisters. And sometimes it seems like the older you get, the Lord gives you little pieces of each one's character that It's influenced your life and makes up who you are. And Ray, you've been a big influence, and I appreciate it. But I wanted to start out and tell you a quick story uh, that happened to us yesterday, Cynthia and I. We went to look at suits and, you know, different stuff for preaching. And and used to, I didn't go to places like that, but I kind of like it now. (laughs) It comes in handy to have a suit, you know, when you get ready to preach, but... Anyway, I, we're standing in the store and, and uh, crowded, it's packed. So just get this in this visualization in your mind. It's packed out and we're over in the far corner looking at some suit jackets and, and the lady that works there, she comes up to us and we're talking about it, you know, and I pick a couple up and they won't fit. And, and uh, she says, here, try this one. And, and she puts it on me and it's... Uh, Sleeves are long, and, you know, it's just didn't. But I get down to here, and it won't button. And she looked at me, and she said, uh, you know, shoulders this way, arm length this way. And she pulls it, and she says, uh, you're what we call portly. <laughs> so I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, portly. So without any hesitation... She yells across the store, Hey, do we have any more of those portly jackets in the back? And I'm standing there thinking, Well, now everybody in the store knows that I'm portly. And I could have swore, I could have swore this lady yelled, Do we have any of those portly jackets in the back? But anyway, I... I'll just now never forget it. And this morning, 
Cynthia wakes up in the bed laughing. <laughs> and I'm laying there and I said, what are you laughing about? Oh, nothing, portly. <laughs> so I thought we, we'd throw a little humor in there. But anyway, if you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 3, I'll get started real quick. And <clears throat> I'm sorry about my uh, sickness. I appreciate all the prayers and I'm better, but I've still got some con congestion. But in this time period, in the scriptures, it starts out in verse 1, and I'll give the first few verses there a quick, uh, a quick go over. But it's talking about in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the governor. And he talks about it, it goes on, and he's the governor of Galilee, and then Philip's the governor <coughs> excuse me, of a couple of regions. And it's talking about one of them, their brothers, and... Anyway, it gives a rundown. It's amazing to me how the Lord brings this out and how these, it gives a rundown of the political powers to be of the day and the who's who politically. So it starts out in verse 3. You've got this, or in chapter 3, verse 1, you've got this uh, a portrait of the time period that, that we're in in the Scripture. So he starts out and he tells you who's all the political leaders, who's the political powers, and then it goes on to talk about in verse 2 the religious leaders and the religious powers of the day. So he's talking about Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. So you've got the political aspect of it of the day, the leaders that's politically leaders, and then you've got the religious leaders of the day. And I want you to notice what the word says. It says that the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And, and it says in verse 3, And he came unto all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And I want you to know something. He was preaching that day, and what he was preaching was the baptism of repentance. And I want to tell you that word baptism is to be fully whelmed or submerged. Don't just stick your toe in, but dive in. So get this picture in your mind that the baptism in this original Greek means to be fully whelmed, fully covered. And the thing that John's talking about is the baptism being fully covered in repentance. In repentance in the original Greek, the reformation, the reversal of compunction for guilt, reversal of one's decision to think differently afterwards to reconsider. So I want you to notice that John is coming up and he's preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission and forgiveness of sins. And he comes to the crowd and he tells them, he says, look, to be fully whammed, now we're not talking about thinking about repentance. We're not talking about quarter repentance or half repentance or three quarters repentance. We're talking about being fully whammed, fully covered from head to toe in something that's called repentance. We're talking about being fully covered from head to toe in something that's called a change of heart and a change of mind. And I believe if there's ever been a day in the house of God, in the, in the churches of God today, that we need to be fully whelmed in repentance, it's today. I believe if we've ever lived in a time, listen to me, to where people 
has came into the houses of God, listen, for so many years and so many years, time after time after time, and dabbled in sin and walked right back out the door, living the same way they've always lived, knowingly and willingly sinning, I believe it's today. And I believe one of the main causes and one of the main root problems, which technology is a good thing, but I believe technology today has ushered in an era of sin that's run rampant even in the churches. I believe that we're living in such a day today that some of you have been on a phone, which there's nothing wrong with your phone, and you've been openly in sin even before the service started. <laughs> you know, and as the Lord began to reveal to me this message, he began to break my heart, and, and don't get me wrong, I've had to really search my heart and search myself and repent, and, and there's things in my life that I had to give to the Lord. One of the biggest things I struggled with was YouTube. Now, I mean, I was addicted to YouTube. I mean, think about it. Short, fat, redneck, jumping off diving board fails. <laughs> I had to see it. <laughs> I had to see my relatives failing. <laughs> but I'm saying, I make a joke of that, but honestly, it came to a point, and I thought about Evie Hall. Brett gave a testimony about Evie Hall, how the funnies in the paper was keeping her away from the Lord. And she repented from the newspaper, from the funnies in the newspaper. And I had to repent and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, forgive me of neglecting you and going to YouTube. <laughs> and so I had to repent of YouTube. I had to say, Lord, I... <laughs> I'm done with it. I can't do it anymore. It became obsessed. It was something I was on constantly all the time. And so I look at that and I say technology, it made it so easy because I could be laying in the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and be awake on YouTube. <laughs> I could be on YouTube just any time, day or night. And so I look, let's move on. I look at the scripture and it said, he's preaching the baptism of repentance and that is written in the book of the words I was asked the prophet saying, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And I want you to notice in verse 5, every valley, and I want you to get this picture in your mind, every valley, he says, shall be filled. So if you've got a valley in between mountains, it shall be filled. And then he said this, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crook shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. So I seen this picture in my mind that he's speaking of Christ that make his path straight, make his path the way they should be. And it, look, look here, here's how the Lord revealed it to me. If it's a high hill or a valley or a crooked place or however the, the, the land falls, is that Jesus Christ is going to have a straight line through every single bit of it. He does not grade on the curve. Jesus Christ does not grade on the curve. The fact that our sin has separated us from a holy God 
And the fact that it took everything that God the Father had in his arsenal, which was his son, to come to earth and pour out his grace, love, and mercy upon you and I, that we would have a path back to God the Father. Listen to me. That's not grading on the curve. That's the simple fact that Jesus Christ gave his heart and life, listen, for you and I because of this one thing, the only thing that could keep us in a right relationship with God the Father was the sacrifice of his one and only begotten son. And that, my dear friends, is not grading on the curve. The fact that Jesus Christ left the portals of glory and stretched out on a tree in Calvary and gave the very breath that he had within him, his very existence, everything within him, everything without him, every sin that you have ever committed was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. That is not grading on the curve. <laughs> you know, I, I feel today in such a time, listen, that we live in, and, and the Lord's changing this up as we go. <laughs> I've never seen a Jesus so soft as we've made him today. <laughs> Let me explain. Did you know most of the scripture would be viewed as toxic masculinity today? <laughs> Did you know that we're living in such a time, and listen, instead of the church being an influence of the world we see the world being an influence under the church. And it's bleeding in the back doors. Have you ever seen a movie where you've got, uh, 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 the, you think you've got the room sealed off and say maybe it's uh, some type of a movie where the ocean's coming in and, and you start seeing the, the, the waves breach the sandbags and, they, and it starts coming through the walls and under the cracks and under the doors. And I believe over a period of time, listen, that that's happened in the churches that the water has slowly seeped in and come in of this water of, of uh, well, you got to be tolerant, and this water of, uh, of th this thing about Jesus Christ and the mindset, what's the first thing comes to your mind if I say Jesus? In the modern day that we live in, what's the first thing comes in your mind? And I look at it, and I want you to notice what John is saying to these people. He said, then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, Oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Isn't that an opening statement? How many of you today, listen to me, if John the Baptist stood here and looked you straight in the face and said, Oh, you generation of vipers, who have warned you of the wrath to come? Half the church would say, Who does John think he is that he can walk in here and call me some kind of a snake? <laughs> I think that we've conditioned... Today, in the modern-day church, I think that we've conditioned that there's, there's things in our mind and heart that we won't go to. There's subjects in our mind and heart, listen, that we won't breach today because it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> hey, it makes people uncomfortable. There's more subjects today in the church that's taboo than I've ever seen in my life, ever. And if anybody needs to be talking about it, it's us. If anybody needs to be talking about sin, it's us. If anybody needs to be talking about the dangers of a life lived without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your heart, it's us. 
If there's anybody talking about the sting of death, of the sin that's in our lives, if there's anybody that needs to stand up and say, hey, look, that don't work. I've tried it. It don't work. It's nothing but sin. It's nothing but death. We need to put a stop to it. We need to put an end to it. Today is the day that we should be talking about these things. And he said that bring forth, therefore, in verse 8, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Did you get that? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. I, I want to stop right there. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy. And the word Greek fruits is plucked to seized. As something plucked to see. So you got this in your mind. Bringing forth, therefore, fruits worthy, something tangible. Look, that I can reach up on the tree and I can say, okay, this is an apple or an orange or whatever, and I can tangibly grab that and pluck it. It's something that I attain, it's in my hand, and you can see it in my life. I've got this fruit in my life. And he says, therefore, worthy, deserving, comparable, or suitable as drawing praise or due reward. That there's something, listen to me, in my life about repentance. That I need to bring forth fruit that's worthy of repentance. Listen, that I could come into the house of God and we could carry on conversations with one another in here, outside, in the workplace, wherever. And you see fruit, listen, in my life that's worthy of saying, look, I belong to Jesus Christ. That there's fruit in me, listen, that I could say honestly, I belong to Jesus Christ. And as I think about those fruits that are worthy of repentance, he goes on to say, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham, Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And he's saying unto them, listen, your you, you background, your religious background, your upbringing, who you're tied to, who your grandfather, your aunt, your uncle, whoever it may be, however long you may have been a member of the church, wherever you came from, all these different things. And if anybody had a right to brag, it was John. Son of Zacharias, it was over the temple. They said he wouldn't, he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord. And his daddy saw Jesus Christ. So he had a right. He could say, hey, look, you know, I'm Zacharias' son. And he said, take all that, listen, take all the religion, all the past, everything that you've ever possessed, everything that you're upbringing and everything else, and look, I've got this in my favor. John says, take that. And do away with it. Don't say within yourself that that's what I got and that's what I need. And I want you to notice in verse 9, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And I want you to notice, listen, how many times have you heard that? How many times have you heard that there's coming a day that the axe is going to be laid into the root of the trees? How many times do you know, listen, I know that there's coming a day in my life that there's no doubt that I'm going to meet my maker, that I'm going to look at him face to face, and I know that this Jesus Christ, listen, there's coming a time that when he's coming and the axe, listen, whatever manner of tree you are, Scripture says that we will be known by our fruits of what manner of tree that we are. 
And he says that the axe is going to be laid unto the root of the trees. That Jesus Christ, listen to me, is coming with an axe. And if you're a tree, listen, that you're in the house of God and you're portrayed to be a Christian and you're portraying yourself to be born again and you're saying, yeah, I've been saved. I've been, I, I understand and, and I've been living for the Lord and all these different things. And he says, there's coming a time that when Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, is going to come back, look, and when he comes, he's going to look at every single one of us and he's going to say, yes. Yes, no. And this soft Jesus that we hear about today, this soft one, you know, we talk about Jesus Christ, and, and don't get me wrong, there's many attributes to Jesus. Time would fail me to name all the attributes of Christ. But we're living in such a day to where Jesus Christ is portrayed is this soft, going around, and just spreading peace, love, and mercy among the crowds. And everybody just hug and say, kumbaya. And he's going to grade on the curve. And one day he's going to grade on the curve and he's going to come back, you see. And he's going to understand why I couldn't give this up. He's going to understand why I live the way I live. And everything's just going to be rosy and lovely. No, Scripture says that there's coming a day that when he comes back, listen... And if you're not found in the relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never, as Ray said, submitted his heart unto God, listen, you're going to be deemed as a faulty tree. You're going to be deemed with rotten fruit. And Jesus Christ is going to pull an axe out of his sheath. And he's going to cut you down to the root. <sighs> How soft is he now? There'll be no safe spaces in the place called hell. <laughs> They're not there. No matter what Jesus in your mind that you've conjured up and you're getting by with and everything seems to be working okay, no matter what in your mind you think Jesus is, listen to me, there's coming a day that he's had 2,000 years to sharpen his act. And he'll use it. <laughs> and I think about the Jesus that we talk about today. And we talk about the grace, love, and mercy. And that is beautiful. Without that, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Without the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be able to stand here today and open my mouth. But that's not all. You know, we're like car salesmen, I think, in the modern-day church. Oh, let's explain. Here's how the Lord revealed it to me. Say, so we're trying to sell a car to somebody that don't believe. And I'm getting the pitch on the car, and, and you know, I don't want to say something that will make them uncomfortable because I really want to sell the car. So I'm going to talk about the grace, love, and mercy that's under the hood that makes this car purr. But I'm going to withhold the wrath in the trunk because I don't want to kill the sale. You see, I want everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's honorable. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
Paul said, I became many things. To, I become to all people that I might save some. And there's so many different ways to witness, it's unreal. But I think in the modern day, listen to me, we're trying to sell a Jesus to somebody to make them comfortable to get them in without telling them about the wrath that's in the trunk. And we're producing people, listen to me, we're producing people that's going out into the world, out from the churches and going out and the wheels are coming off of the wagon, listen to me, because five pounds of sugar don't work. It don't work. When I came into the house of God, listen to me, over 29 years ago, the Jesus that's being portrayed today in most houses and in most jobs and most people that claim to be Christians, I wouldn't have had him want to do anything with him. <laughs> if somebody would have come to me over 29 years ago and was living the way a lot of people claim today that they're born again believers in Jesus Christ and they're on their sex videos and they're in their adultery houses and they're hooking up with people out behind dumpsters in a motel, cheating on their wives and kids. If we're people into the churches today, listen to me. If somebody would have came up to me back then and portrayed this soft Jesus that I've been spoon-fed in the culture that we live in and people in the world trying to tell us how to portray Jesus in order to win them to Jesus, I wouldn't have had nothing to do with it. It's too soft. And so I think about what he said and the axe will be laid to the root and I want you to notice what he said and the people asked when they heard these things in verse 10 when they heard it the people asked him saying what shall we do then when they heard the truth of the, what John was speaking about Jesus Christ listen it there's coming a day that he's going to come back and the tree is going to be hewn down plumb to the root with the sharpest axe you've ever saw in your life and when they hear this truth, listen to where they were. He said, what shall we do? What is it that I need to do? And he answered unto them and said unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And him that hath meat, let him do likewise. You see, they had a selfish change of heart. Their heart, their selfish heart was changed. He motivated them to change what they thought. You see, we've got a lot of people today in the church that's going out, listen to me, and your representation of Jesus Christ, listen, because your refusal to repent of your sin has absolutely tarnished the name of the one and only Son of God. I believe that we're living in such a day, listen to me, that there's people sitting in here today, in this house today, that's living in such a way that if somebody you don't even know is watching you, will refuse to come to the church and refuse to come to Jesus Christ because you're living a lie. There's some of you in here today that's cheating on your wife and your husband and you're killing your kids with the lifestyle that you live in and you refuse to repent of it. And you call yourself a Christian. You call yourself born again. And he said in verse 12, and, and it came also the publicans, the tax collectors, to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than which is appointed you. In other words, don't take no more than what you should. 
<laughs> he said, the way you're living right now, stop it. <laughs> you know how come I know that? Because the Spirit of God has spoke to me. Stop it. <laughs> That's hard, ain't it? That's hard for me as a preacher to look in the mirror <laughs> and know that God spoke to me straight in my heart and mind and said, stop. <laughs> and he said to them, exact no more than which is appointed to you. And I want you to notice the soldiers and the soldiers likewise demanded him, saying, And what shall we do? The soldiers, listen to me, the biggest, baddest, toughest, roughest ones in town, the ones that carried the weapons, the ones that would go up and smack somebody and say, Get out of my way. The ones that would walk up and could stab a sword through you because he didn't like you. Demanded. <laughs> The most hated people hate. <laughs> Excuse me. The most hated ones of the whole group, besides the tax collectors, demanded. When they heard the word of the truth that John was speaking in the gospel, listen, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to their heart, listen, the soldiers looked at John and demanded, What shall we do? You talk about ready for repentance. When's the last time have you demanded for God to tell you what you needed to do so you could straighten your mess out? When's the last time? I looked at it and he said, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. He tells them exactly they were right the opposite of that. And he says, this is what you need to do. If you're going to live this life, if you're going to be fruitful, if you're going to be who you say you are, if you're really going to believe in Jesus Christ, listen to me. I honestly believe this with all my heart. Don't tell me that you've come into this place and you've raised your hand one Sunday morning on the back row and you said, hey, I'm in. And you've raised your hand back there on the back row and you said, Lord, I've made some mistakes. I wish you would help me. Forgive me of my mistakes. Glory be to God, I'm in. And walk out that door and go get on the same website that you've been on for the past five years without any unction of any conviction in your heart. Listen to me, dear friend. You raised your hand for the wrong reason. He said, therefore, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Worthy. Don't tell me that you've been born again and you've raised your hand in some singing somewhere and you still, your wife still thinks you hate her guts because of the way you treat her. Don't tell me that... 
You've been born again and you believe in Jesus Christ and you're sacrificing your kids for your sexual preference. God says, stop. I look at where we are today in the modern day church and I've never seen so much of flippantly looking at sin and saying it's going to be all right. And he says this, and the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he be the Christ or not. They were in great expectation and all men mused They mused in their hearts. They were in great expectation to watch, to anticipate in thought of hope or fear. They've heard about this Jesus that's coming back, listen, and the ax is going to be laid into the root. They've heard about this Jesus that he's going to make everything straight, that he's not going to grade on the curve. And in their hearts, it says they were in great expectation to watch, to anticipate, and thought with hope or fear. And they're standing there thinking, where's this relationship going to go? They're looking in their, in their heart and they're saying, man, what's, what's going on with this? Where, where's this headed? What's the end result of this? And they're wondering, they're, they're so enamored at John, they're wondering if he's the Christ or not. And John answered and said unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. Listen, John sums it up. He says, there's one cometh with the shoe latchet, of shoe latchet of shoes I am not worthy to unloose. You know, this soft Jesus that we hear about all the time, this one that grades on the curve and really looks over your sin and no big deal. He's my buddy. He's my friend. John said, I'm not even worthy to fall down on my face and to get my face close enough to his feet and undo his shoes. <laughs> wow. And I began to think about it and the Lord revealed to me three things. I know we're pressed for time, but glory there's three types of people in the church the first one is the roundabout that's the person in the church that pulls into the roundabout spiritually speaking and they just go in circle after circle after circle they won't repent. They'll get in the circle and they'll just go around and around and around and around expecting things to change, expecting a different result and never changing the direction. And you see the roundabout Christian, the roundabout person that says they're born again, that's in the church, they're liable to go any way the roundabout goes out. You see, because they'll follow anything or they'll follow anybody. They'll go into the roundabout and one of their friends call up and says, hey, let's go down here to the bar. 
I've heard there's some good-looking men or women down there and we can get us a date. Sure. Ha. Woo, let's go. And they take off in one direction of the roundabout. That don't work. It falls through, you see, because you know what you find down there, the same thing you found the last 15 times. And then you come back into the roundabout and you go around and around and around and around again. And you're never getting anywhere. And the whole time, listen to me, you children are watching your roundabout Christianity. Your family's watching that you can't make a decision. But yeah, oh, you're born again. We've got the roundabout. And Scripture says that the God of this world, lowercase, has blinded their eyes that they see not. And then I think about this Christian. This one, this is the yield Christian. One that says they're born again. You know, this is the most prevalent Christian we've got today is the yield Christian. Well, preacher, what do you mean by yield Christian? I was laying in bed the other night studying about this message. And the Spirit of God began to work these signs in my heart. Make these signs, which, by the way, my wife made. Here's the yield Christian. You got Romans 8.1 NIV. Can you put it up? Romans 8.1 NIV. <clears throat> I want to show you something that the Lord revealed to me about the yield Christian. The yield Christian comes up to the sign and they stop just briefly to assess the situation. And they look down the road and they see this spiritual car coming. And it seems like a good ways off from where they're at. And so... Hey, brother, you got NIV in that? So this Christian that says they're born again, they're sitting at the yield sign briefly, and they look up and they see Jesus Christ coming, but they say this in their heart. I believe he's coming back, but right now I've got enough time to do what I want. So they just pull on out in traffic and keep going the way they've been going. You see, they believe Jesus is coming back. They yielded. And they saw him coming. They've heard their grandmother and their grandfather and their preacher and their pastor and their, and their mama and everybody else tell them, they say, you know, Jesus is coming back. Oh, I believe it. Scripture says even the demons believe and tremble. And they're sitting at the yield sign saying, yeah, I believe he's coming, but right now I'm going over here and do what I've always done. That's the yield. <coughs> That's the yield Christian. The one that says that they're born again. <coughs> In Romans 8, 1. <coughs> Excuse me, the Lord give me this scripture right here. And I'll tell you why. This scripture that's posted right there has came up more times in the past year 
in the highways and the hedges and the offices and the churches, places I've been, people I've talked with. And I'm going to tell you something, and I'll give you a little quick. <clears throat> I said it's came up in churches. It's came up, I've had conversations with police officers, uh, leaderships of all different kinds. I've had conversations, you name it, right? And here's why the Lord gave me that scripture to pull up. It's in the day that we live in today, <clears throat> that sounds good, don't it? Therefore, talking about the work of Christ, talking about the part of him on the cross, talking about the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've heard that mentioned so many times when somebody in the church is a yield Christian or a yield person that says they're Christian and they live by this right here, that they found this in their NIV version and they use it to excuse the sin that's in their life. And they use it as a springboard to I can get away with what I want, how I want, and when I want. And they'll pull this scripture out just as quick as the conversation initiates about open sin in their life. Well, you know, scripture says, therefore, there's now no condemnation. Those are in Christ Jesus. And I'm laying in the bed, and as I'm thinking about that scripture, and I've had many conversations where people were on the internet in relationships and meeting people and actually tell you, and you talk with them, and, and you discuss it with them. And, and I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not talking about down here at the pimp house. <laughs> you got me? I'm talking about in the church house. I've had conversations with people in churches, listen, that are living in open sin and will whoop out that Bible and open that verse and tell you you need to be quiet because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I look at that and I go, Lord, how is this possible? How could this be? And the Lord said this, where people get their information this day and time. <clears throat> Lord said, Google it. I remember Brett one Sunday said, Google it. And I've been doing that a lot. Scriptures, I'm, that's it's neat, ain't it? I mean, I'll get a thought of a scripture in my head and I'll Google it, bam. You know? So I go back to my book, though, and look it up. <laughs> Lord said, Google it, and that's how to get out of hell. So I'm laying in bed, and I Google, you know, how do I get out of hell? And it took me to WikiHow, W-I-K-I-How. Never thought I'd do that. <laughs> so I go to WikiHow, right? Here's the question that was posted. Will I go to hell if I watch pornography and da-da-da-da-da? There's several other things. I'm not going to mention what they asked. And here's the response. No. As long as you are a Christian. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means that if you are in Christ, you will not go to hell. If you're a Christian and you're watching porn and such, you need to stop. Stop watching and confess to God. Okay, look at this one. <clears throat> he says, well, if I can get to it, 
I'm a homosexual. Am I going to hell? Hey, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? And there's a subject that we're afraid to broach a lot of times. I've been in Christian circles where you bring that up and you are shunned and be quiet. <laughs> we ain't going to talk about that. Here's the answer. Not necessarily. People who go to hell when they are evil, if you have a kind heart, I bet you're not going to hell. He says, <clears throat> even if you are a homosexual, that is where most of us get our information. And I think about in the day and time that we live in, <laughs> there's another aspect. I know we're pressed for time. Who's got, have you got the King James 8.1? We're going to finish it too. King James, Romans 8.1. This one right here. Obviously, it's a stop sign. <clears throat> you see, there's one thing today that we've took the Word of God and we've analyzed it and we've tweaked it and we've looked at it and we've tried to bring Jesus to a place that makes me feel more comfortable about me. I've tried to lower the bar and put Jesus down on my level. Here's how the Lord revealed it to me. When he comes back, he's not going to pull in front of your house in a Volkswagen van with flowers painted on it with a brand new pair of sandals to give you a ride to the mall because your car's broke down. That is most people's representation of the one and only Jesus Christ. He's much more than just my friend. And so I look at the King James Version of that Romans 8, 1, and the one thing that they left out in all these conversations I've had over the past year is there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who what? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's a big difference, isn't it? You see, this one don't let me off the hook. <laughs> and so I look at it, and I want you to notice about the stop. <coughs> In the stop, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And I want you to know something about God that the Lord revealed to me. You see, the fear of God curbs my sin. Did you know the fear of God curbs my sin? But you also know the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ does the same thing. 
The fear of God keeps me in line. The fear of God stops me in my tracks. The love, mercy, and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the love that he showed for me on Calvary, listen, and the things that he does for me on a daily basis, listen to me, the things that are so important to him in my life, the things that he give up so I could have eternal life, listen to me, it curbs my sin as well. The grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ is a curb for sin. It's not a license to do it. The final word, and I'll hush, and I'll hold it up. God said, would you just stop? Lord, I come to you today, and I ask you for your mercy <laughs> and your grace and your love to be poured out upon us, Father God, so that we will avoid the wrath. I thank you and praise you for all that you do for us, Lord. And as they come to get ready for singing and, and the closing, I pray, Father God, that today, Lord, today, if there's anybody in here that's been playing around, Father God, with the roundabout, and there's anybody in here that's just yielding to Jesus every now and then, and, oh, well, it'll be all right, and everything's going to be good. Father, I pray that today that they get a grasp and a hold on the reality that there's coming a day that we're going to stand before our maker and we're going to give an account. We are going to give an account. Lord, I love you and I thank you and praise you and I trust into your hands and I ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.